0: You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 950 a.m. and 930 a.m. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review.
1: Good morning. I'm Jim Dish with the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office, joining you on Relevant Radio, 950 and 930 a.m. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our Catholic Chicago radio programs that air throughout the week. Our broadcast week began with Catholic Conference of Illinois Executive Director Bob Gilligan talking with Bishop David Malloy of the Diocese of Rockford. Bishop Malloy recently became chairman of the USCCB's Committee on International Justice and Peace.
2: Recently then, um, I think it was at the November Bishops' Meeting for uh, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, um, you were selected to be the chairman of one of the departments there, the uh, Committee on International Justice and Peace. Um, I, I guess just talking about that in your new role, um, how, is, how is that selected? I mean, it'd be interesting, I think, for the audience to, to find out, like, how, how did you get that position? Is it appointed, elected, and, and what, what's the process used?
3: Well, for me it began um, in June, at the bishops' meeting in June, and one of the things that they do is the administrative committee, which is a very regional, so widely representative committee, um, they are entrusted with making nominations for the offices that are going to come open in November. And so, in fact, during the meeting, the secretary of the conference, who's the head of that committee, Came up to me and said they'd had their meeting earlier in the day and had nominated me to uh, uh, possibly stand for that chairmanship. And would I accept the nomination? So I suppose you can run up your flag and say I'd like to run for something.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I did not. I didn't do that. Uh, they they came and asked, and you try to serve the church and you try to serve the conference um, if it's at all possible so uh, I agreed to do that, and then in November um, the uh, second morning of the uh, the general meeting they have a whole elect- election mechanism set up, and they go through the elections quickly and so on on uh, uh, Tuesday morning of the bishops meeting, I was elected the um, the chair and then what what happened uh, actually I was elected chair elect, which means I should have been kind of an apprentice this year <laughs> but uh, the then current chair archbishop uh, Timothy Broglio of the military services uh-huh. was then uh, elected to a higher office the office came open and so You've... the uh, president appointed me to fill out his term and then take on my own for 3 years so it's a 4 year a 4 year effort that I'll be undertaking
2: so you you got got an instant promotion there um i'm i'm sure one of the reasons that you were uh, approached by this is you have a, a a wide array of not only did you work at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops you were it was a general secretary for uh, a term was it one term um, yeah. a couple of years ago so you have some experience in DC but you also served the church in many capacities I think you were in Pakistan Syria T- tell a little bit about those experiences
3: well after uh, ordination uh, I was asked to go back uh, to uh, Rome and uh, joined the Vatican's diplomatic service where they have representatives uh, in most of the countries throughout the world and diplomatic relations because uh... Mm-hmm. the holy see the vatican is in fact an international state uh... under international law so uh... as you said i served uh... four years in pakistan uh, a year in syria and then i served uh... three years on the uh... the holy see delegation to the united nations in new york so uh, i guess uh... on that basis uh... People thought that um, this might be a fit for the work at the conference, and they asked me to to take on this responsibility.
2: So, um, how does the, me- uh, the the mechanics? I think it'd be interesting for people to know. How, how does the mechanics of the of the committee work? Do you, do you have meetings periodically, and is there staff associated with it, or it, it, is it just do you direct that, or is the staff direct it? Because I think there's a lot of sometimes people wonder about those things.
3: Well, there's uh, a number of offices in the Bishops' Conference that are uh, directly tasked with specific um, specific areas to follow and do kind of the daily work on. So one would be pro-life, one would be international mm-hmm. justice and peace, one would be domestic justice and peace, one would be marriage and family. There's a whole array of those offices. In those offices, there is um, uh, an executive director, so the head of the office as the staff, And then the bishops, according to their budget and according to the strategic planning, have apportioned a certain number of staff for each of the offices, depending upon the range of the activities and and so on. So um, what happens in this case is we meet as a bishop's committee with the other bishops that that I've asked to join me on the committee twice a year. Um, In the meantime, uh, the staff is doing... um, um, a great deal of work in the international area, following international issues. In some cases, going and representing the bishops at international meetings, or simply being there to follow the discussions and, and um, get the sense of the uh, conclusions that are being reached. All that sort of thing. Um, when we go to the, the international, the, uh, the twice-year meetings, there'll be an array of topics that they'll put out. You know, some say in Africa, some say. Mm -hmm. You know, the problems in, let's say, Venezuela, we all know the difficulties there, the ongoing questions with Cuba. Um, In a number of ways, what we're trying to do is, first of all, um, follow and support um, the international um, and moral um, uh, policies that are being taken by the Holy See, and try and be uh, guided by that and try and assist them wherever that's possible, in other cases, we have sort of individual contacts and relations with particularly the bishops in other countries, because mm-hmm. they're the ones who really know what's going on in their country. So if you hear about a place where there mm-hmm. are problems going on, one of the things that we would like to do is talk to the local bishops there. Uh, we don't want to be sitting back here and sort of um,
5: mm-hmm.
6: somehow
3: making making judgments and, and comments about things that, that are, are not... Um, in sync with with what the church in terms of the bishops and the church locally is doing so there's a lot of contact that way probably solidarity visits to go and particularly in places where the the church and the bishop is under siege just to go and say we're here we're thinking of you yeah Um, sometimes we can assist contacts with the U.S. government for issues that might be helpful to discuss—lots of wide-ranging stuff.
2: So there's a lot more, you know. I I, I think when 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 Catholics who follow these the, the, follow this, they um they see the statements that are put out. Um, I know, like I think one of your first ones was about n- nuclear disarmament, and I, you've commented on that. I think you commented on the the, the fires in Australia. Um, there's been some other I think the Iran uh, situation when there was the bombing of uh, the the, the uh, uh, what was his name Soleimani. The General Soleimani yeah, yeah Soleimani I know you guys commented on that so there's I, I think those are those are just situations I think that more or less that that you're reacting to that you feel that the laity needs to have some sort of uh, knowledge that that the bishops are concerned about that and they acknowledge that these things are going on and I, I think most of those statements are ones that it's more of an awareness and attention that than a maybe a directive, a policy directive?
3: It's not only that, but, but uh, typically what you try and do is particularly bring out the moral and ethical mm-hmm. and faith dimensions of um, those kinds of things, because other people are commenting on, let's yeah. say, the, the strategic aspects. Was it uh, strategically wise or unwise? Or, or But there's often um, elements of justice, elements of um, being mindful of, the, the poor, of those who do not have voices um, that, that need to be considered. I think, um, from my standpoint, one of the things that's important is that when we speak as bishops on these matters, we don't speak as politicians, we don't speak as um, military or necessarily policy experts, but we do speak as pastors. And those can, can, can flow together at times, and um, I think that's Particularly, what we, do, what we we try and address in those matters, because there are others, and particularly the laity that have, um, you know, particular expertise right. mm-hmm. in in other aspects of those issues.
2: Yeah, that that's what I was thinking too. Because a, a lot of times, I mean, everybody's talking about Soleimani, you know, and it becomes so hyper politicized, and uh, uh, everybody's got an opinion about it based on their news source, et cetera. And and it's nice that there's a voice out there that's. Trying to call somewhat of a rational conversation about the moral aspects of this as opposed to what you're hearing in, in in the mainstream media do you get do you get much reaction to the statements at all or is it one way or the other
3: uh, periodically i mean i'm I'm very new at this yeah, it's only been a few weeks, so um, it hasn't been a great deal of chance I, I think some of it depends on you know, you just made a very interesting comment, depending on your news source, and I think we all know that that has a lot to do with how people understand and interpret issues, because they don't get their first uh, take or opinion, typically, from the bishops, but from whichever news source, as you put it, yeah, uh, they're watching or listening to. So then, typically, I would think, um, a part of what, what we do is almost um, following on to what they first heard. So, for example, the uh, the, the statement about uh, General Soleimani... Uh, they would have heard all kinds of strategic things, and and the history of the man, and the history of the area, and so on. And I think our particular um, effort was to say, "How can we not let this go spiraling out of control into uh, a lack of peace that is going to be uh, more strategically damaging and you know, but damage the lives of people? How how can we how can we try and contain this in a manner of peace?" Um, recognizing that there's all kinds of, of issues of security and justice that, that uh, you know, also have to be addressed.
1: Thanks to Bishop Malloy for joining Bob on the Catholic Conference Hour. Next up, Bob talked with Anthony Holter, executive director of Empower Illinois. That's the scholarship granting organization in charge of most of the tax credit scholarships granted to students attending Catholic schools throughout the state. We have some good information to report
2: and uh, good, hoping to be great someday, but we're on the right track. Absolutely, Bob.
7: Great uh, great to be with you again, and really appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, this great program and the ways that it's uh, benefiting kids and families who uh, deeply desire uh, a quality private education uh, in every single county uh, across this great state of Illinois. Wow.
2: And by the way, Anthony has a better radio voice than I do, (laughs) as if you've probably noticed that already. So, uh, you know... uh, I think it's like, what, 50, 60 million roughly a year we're bringing in over the first two years. Uh, five, 6,000 kids every year have been in this thing. Yep. So, you know, I, 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 for this program that just started, you know, what, uh, 24 months ago, probably less than that, right. um, you know, you can say, yeah, that, that's an impressive, impressive accomplishment that people have donated that much and, and that many kids have, have benefited from it. And not only that, I think the real message we want to get across is, albeit 5,000, 6,000 kids a year, and you can go through the numbers, uh, have received scholarships, we got a line that's going from here to the Indiana State line, because we got like 46,000 kids that could get it. So we got a lot of untapped potential in this program.
7: That's absolutely right, Bob. I think, uh, you know, no matter how you measure it, um, the, the headline here is that this program is a tremendous success. Um, you know, over 110 million dollars has been donated uh, through this program since its inception. Um you know, every year we get a crack at a, at a fresh $100 million, so we haven't hit that cap. Uh, but when you look at uh, this program compared to other programs in other states across the country, uh, we're setting records on the fundraising yeah, side. right? Uh, and then I think, you know, you flip the coin, you look at the demand side, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, last year there were 46,000 kids in line raising their hands saying, uh, I want this option. I want this opportunity. Uh, I want this choice to, to find a good fit, a best fit school for me. And um you know, if, if we were to fulfill all that demand, we'd need like, you know, $300 million yeah. just yeah. to do that. So, we should. Yeah, dem- yeah. demand that's is high, on. and uh, and I think that's a, that's a, a clear message to donors. Uh, first and foremost, you know, our challenge is to make sure that people are aware of this. Yep. So we have a top-of-mind awareness problem, not an affinity problem. Once people know about this Good, and, they, and they hear about the impact that their dollars can have in the life of a kid yep. at scale— Yep. Um, they love it. Now we just got to make sure that more people uh, know about it.
2: And you know, I think it's important to point out. You got the numbers, but um, there's a perception there about tax credits and donating that it that it's only for the rich and people have a lot of money to give. You know, it's really not. I I think like the 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 average donation. Well, the average. Here we go in mean median mode. i yeah. back into high school <laughs> right it, statistics. Absolutely. Yeah. But the most common donation was a thousand bucks that's that's yeah. absolutely
7: right and and I think uh, you know it, this is a great opportunity to dispel some myths about the program um, and, and you 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 set up a great one there and that is uh, that this is only for uh, you know uh, the uber wealthy absolutely yeah. not uh, but if mo- you are
2: uber wealthy you can' donate yes absolutely we're not <laughs> right. excluding anybody right. I, th- right. I
7: think I uh, think the the blanket invitation here is <laughs> yeah. if you have Illinois state tax liability there you go. and you care about kids and education this You're is in. the program for you yeah. Uh, but yeah the most common donation is a thousand dollars the median donation is three thousand. And one of the things that we're most proud of uh year over year in terms of donors is that we got about 1400 brand new donors from la- from the first year really from 2018 to 2019 that's great and these donors are largely at the lower dollar that's level great. that's what we want uh, and i right. think that's you know, awakening people to this idea that um, every single dollar does matter and they could be the next donation uh, away from unlocking one of these great
2: scholarships for kids. So we're now collecting money in year three. Mm -hmm. Um, Year one's experience and year two's (laughs) experience are a lot different. Year one, I mean, we don't know. So year one, it was kind of like at the beginning, ready, set, go. There was a big rush to get donations in. So we collected a lot of money really fast. Yep, Year two lot different um had some newspaper stories that weren't flattering. There was the people got wind that the governor didn't like this, and then some people thought it may not end. But that's all gone now. So now right. we're in year three. So now we're kind of trying to let's let's get a little bit normal here is I think let's 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 smooth out the two variances and get to. Some sense of normalcy. A-
7: absolutely right. And to go back to our high school math terms, <laughs> uh, literally in the first two years, we didn't uh, we didn't have enough for a trend line, right? So yeah. uh, the first year, everybody thought the credits <laughs> right. would be gone by you know January second, right? Uh, and then it turns out that they weren't. Uh, year two, uh, we had you know potential uh, threat of this being cut and capped in the in the budget. Uh, we successfully fought that off. Um, I think I think we have uh, some tailwinds now, which is yeah, great. And and Me so, too. you know, donors should be able to give with confidence right. that uh, that the program, at its uh, current full funding level, will be available, um, and uh, you know, to know that again there are um, tens of thousands of kids in line uh, yeah. who are who are looking uh, looking for one of these options. How
2: do people donate?
7: So uh, the donation process, if uh, in two steps. Uh, or I should say there are kind of two ways to think about this. If you are a returning donor, the good news is it's going to take you five minutes. It is easier. It yes, is a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, if you're a brand new donor, it, there are a couple more steps involved, but it's absolutely worth it. Keep hope uh, alive. It is a little hard. Uh, we, we got to
2: give people a heads up. It, Persist. It, it, <laughs> persistency. Right. I did. Uh, so And thank <laughs> yep. you, Bob, for your gonna, generosity. I was going to do it if it killed me. <laughs> uh, and I'm not an organized person, so uh, yeah, yeah it, it does. It does it's not impo- but it's just not clicking a button i just want to yeah. let people know it's just not clicking a button yeah you have to do some things
7: it's different than uh, especially folks who may have been involved already yeah. in kind of charitable giving uh at the school right level.
2: it's not right just writing a check. it's not
7: writing a check it's yeah. not raising a paddle at an auction right. uh, that kind of thing yeah. um we it takes it, it takes a few more steps uh, but uh, all the information is available on our website empowerillinois.org slash donors um you can just uh, click click their number of I think easy to access buttons there to click uh, to get the step-by-step instructions to donate. Um, you can also uh, email us at donors at empowerillinois.org, and we're happy to walk people through uh, that process step-by-step. Step. We've got a great team of people who are happy to do that.
2: The website's good. It's real easy. I think there's even a video. Yeah. Uh, it kind of walks you through. And when I did it, I was doing it raw. I was a guinea pig, yeah. so, I mean, and I'm not too good at it, so. Um, but it is, It is is not—I'm just giving people a heads up that it just takes a little bit of time. You have to wait a little bit, but but it is the, the website is excellent. It walks you through it. It's yeah. not hard. Um, you, just have to, you just have to take some time, which— I'm not very patient. So that's, yeah. it's, it's my issue. <laughs> <laughs> I,
7: I think you might be representative of a lot of folks, yeah, who, you, know, they, they, uh, you know, who are really motivated to take advantage right. of this program. Uh, but to your point, it, it's just a lot different than... Uh, other ways that they've given in the past, but I I would say stick with it, Mm -hmm. um, persist, and if you have any questions uh, do reach out. So
2: So what, 5,000 kids, what what are the numbers? The 5,000 kids the first year and almost the same number? There's more second year.
7: Yeah, so... uh, How does
2: that work though? If there's more, there was slightly less dollars in year two but we had more kids.
7: Right, so uh, these are some interesting uh, kind of uh, dispersion, uh, disbursement uh, uh, kind of topics to talk through. So we had Less, fewer dollars donated in 2019 than in 2018. And so, you know, through this is all through Empower Illinois. Um, the state was down as well. Um, so in year one, year, Empower Illinois, we had about $45 million. Year two, just over 40, right around 41 million. Mm-hmm. So we're down about 10% um but we were able to give uh, more scholarships and more schools participated good. in year 2 than in year 1 and and uh, a real driver of this was the success we saw in the increase in dollars in regions 3 4 and 5 so uh, you think kind of the downstate dollar in terms of tuition tends to go oh, a little bit that's farther right. yeah Got it. and so av- with average tuition being lower and more dollars coming in that nets to you know more kids and more schools who uh, who can participate
2: good Good. And then the high schools are different from the grade schools because the tuition is a lot lot, lot higher, and that kind of thing. Yep. So what's the future like?
7: So I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I would in, encourage uh, listeners with is that uh, we, th- we think that the future is very bright. Yep. Um, certainly through the uh, five-year uh, pilot uh, program and we hope even beyond. Um, but that will only be true uh, if people continue to make their voices heard. Uh, in their local communities with their elected officials and in Springfield, which you know mm-hmm. so sure. very well. Uh, you know I would say that the, the true success uh, of this program um, belongs to and is possible because of the tens of thousands of people across the state who have said this is something that's important for me and my family, for my kids, for our community – uh, don't take it away. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I can't stress that enough. When, when the local community, when the local school, when families and kids, when their faces and when their voices are first and Empower Illinois is in the background, that's when we know we're succeeding. Exactly. Uh, that this is a program that, uh, that they feel that they own because they do. It is for them.
2: I'm just looking at some notes, and I think like the average uh, recipient, the family income is like $35,000, it's like 100 and some odd percent of the federal poverty level. So there's a lot of people that are getting the scholarship that are really in need. Um, and, and I think the nice part about this is that you don't have to be under. You know, 185 percent of the federal poverty rate, but you can be at a level, and this is what we're really hoping to do in the future: is to continue to try to get lower to middle income families eligible to be to, to participate in the program.
7: That's right. So the uh, the the program allows for scholarships to flow to families who are within. of the federal poverty level. For context, that's about $75,000 for a family of four. Mm -hmm. Um, Our average family is right at about $35,000. So if the question ever comes, is this going to families in need? Absolutely and unequivocally, yes. Uh, But I think a a nice feature of the law and something that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, could even be expanded is, um, you know, there are increasingly working class families who are working two and three jobs uh, to make these kinds of education options available for their kids, um, yeah. they deserve <laughs> some help too. you know. And yeah, really. uh, um, and, and again, it's it's 100% need-based. So uh, we, we can be assured that it is going to families uh, that do demonstrate need. Yeah.
1: For more information on tax credit scholarships, go to archchicago.org and click on the tax credit scholarship stamp. Catholic Charities offers many critical services in Cook and Lake Counties, including job readiness training. Catholic Charities career experts Mitch Siegel and Jacqueline Small joined Voice of Charity co-hosts Marie Jocum and Michael Baer to discuss how Catholic Charities assist veterans who are pursuing new job opportunities.
8: So Mitch, we were talking a little bit about veterans employment and some of the barriers and, and some of the challenges. Um, could you share with our, our listeners who, who might be thinking, hey, I've got some jobs. I, I would love to hire someone. What do you want employers to know about the better benefits of hiring veterans?
4: Well, besides the ones I mentioned earlier about discipline and motivation and sense of mission and teamwork, uh, there's also tax credits, uh, that the federal government offers uh, to employers and also many employers uh, that have federal contracts have a mandate to hire a certain percentage of veterans within their workforce also. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a win-win for companies and veterans uh, in in that regard.
8: The benefits sound incredible really yeah. here, whether it's the benefits of the employee being amazing or the things like the tax credits. In order to get employment, we know there's always barriers to employment, and you've found some unique ways to address some of those barriers through the Veterans Computer Project as well as the Veterans Bicycle Program. Can you share with us a little bit about those programs?
4: Uh, sure. Uh, and it, I couldn't do those programs without the amazing donors that uh, have come forward and offered their help. Uh, in the uh, veterans computer project that I, that I do, um, a, a great uh, donor, Paul Gertis from JetSpeed Technologies, um, uh, refurbishes used computers and gives them to me to give out to veterans to help them in their job search or with a new job they've gotten. And it's, it's amazing because, as we talked about earlier, it's all online. Mm-hmm. And having a computer at your home or on your desk is so much easier than trying to find a library that's open and, and going there to use their computers or some other space. Um, also, the Bike Project uh, has some amazing donors that I get uh, bikes donated to me that need refurbishing. And there are some amazing uh, folks that have come through in Lake County that uh have experience fixing bikes, they fix the bikes up, make sure they're safe, and then I give them to um, veterans to get to work because transportation is a huge barrier in Lake County. And if you don't have your own transportation, relying on public transportation doesn't help that much for, um, you know, to get to work. So bikes really play a huge part in what we call the first mile, last mile. You know, in conjunction with a bus, or just getting to work in general.
8: And you know, I, I think that that point when folks are listening to think about Lake County and how vast it is, and needing to be able to get from one end to the other or from the bottom to the top. I mean, there are jobs out there, but getting to them, it, you it feels like you've solved the problem here.
4: Well, I don't know if I've <laughs> solved it completely, I've but given it you definitely. That credit, Mitch. Okay, I'll take it. Thank you, Marie. <laughs>
8: Um, so so Jacqueline, uh, you've joined us and I know that yeah. your focus uh, is helping all sorts of folks, not just veterans. Is that correct? correct? That's correct. So as we know, unemployment numbers overall in the U.S. are currently low. And in 2019, the unemployment rate decreased in all 14 Illinois um, er, uh, metropolitan areas, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, over the year. But Jacqueline, what's missing in those statistics that we should understand about barriers to employment?
9: Let me just give you a quick overview of the program that I work with. So I work with a program which is known as our Family Self-Sufficiency Program here in Lake County, and we work with single parents, whether it's male or female, that have permanent housing, have a minor child with them. Our program provides up to five years of um, supportive services, and included in that, of course, is our case management and the employment piece, which is where I come in. We have about 175 individuals in our program. What we notice when our clients come in is that there are so many different barriers or obstacles that prevent one from moving from one direction to another. So our job here is to you know, work with our clients. And again, to become self-sufficient, one has to be financially stable. So in regards to the low numbers in, empl- in the unemployment that we've seen, we have noticed that also here with our clients, and we also notice, though, sometimes that our clients do not like to talk about where they are or the fact they lost their jobs. So we may call to check in someone and then find out, you know, but overall, based on our numbers here in this program, we do see a decrease, or we have seen a decrease also in our unemployed numbers.
10: So along with those unemployment numbers, there's also the flip side of that coin where wage growth obviously is not kept up with the cost of living. So yes. how how are you interacting with clients on a regular base who maybe you are able to assist in finding employment but are essentially underemployed? They don't make enough to support their families. Um, how do you help them find additional jobs or how oh. do you refer them to other organizations?
9: Yes. You know, and again, that's one of the, the tasks with this position in an employment position. We here in Lake County, and I know Mitch alluded to that too, regarding the barriers in terms of transportation getting from point A to point B. But what part of my responsibility is to reach out to different companies here in Lake County to create a partnership. My partnership with these companies is to work with individuals who are able to hire our clients despite their um, job skills, unfortunately. So there are clients that we have noticed who we Will take a job just to have a job. It's not about whether that's their passion, what their skills are in. It has nothing to do with that. It's about how do I survive from day to day. Sure. So my role, and there are the two ladies that work with me, it's about meeting with their clients and helping them, you know, to figure out where do you want to go, what do you want to be, you know. Sometimes when I'm asking the question, they're confused. I say, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" <laughs> you know, and then they'll chuckle and then okay. And so then at that point in time. I will reach out to different resources here in Lake County and that's the beauty of Lake County. Oh my goodness. It's a, it's it's large but at the same time in terms of resources and ability to collaborate there is a, so much right here where we are. So I utilize the job center or workforce development because they also have funding that can help our clients to gain job skills without them having a financial responsibility once they're finished. You know, so that's a really, really positive thing. And I utilize that every day I meet with someone. I'm sending them down, go to an information session, go down there, talk to them, find out where, you know, what do you need to do? Absolutely. How do you get from point A to point B? Because my goal as an employment person in this program is that I would love everyone when they leave here in five years to be able to say, hey, I'm a CNA. You know, when you go looking for a job, you know, I'm an I'm, you know, accounting rep or I'm a sales clerk or whatever, but I want them to have a passion and have something to help them to become or to maintain that stability. That's incredible,
1: no us. And a reminder that you can find out more about all the wonderful ministries and services of Catholic Charities and how you can help by going to catholiccharities.net. Stick around. We'll hear from the Archdiocese Office of Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship after a short break.
0: Have you checked out Chicago Catholic lately? Either in print or online, Chicago Catholic has informative and stimulating content, including news from the archdiocese, beautiful photographs, and a thoughtful column by our publisher, Cardinal Blaise Cupich. Editor Joyce DeRiga tells us about our current edition of Chicago Catholic.
11: Our center spread this issue features men and women religious answering questions from Catholic youth. For this Lenten season, we have tips on how to involve children in Lent, and on hiding electronic devices to sharpen your focus on Christ. And the Southside Irish Parade will feature 16 Catholic elementary schools as its Grand Marshal.
0: Subscribe now. Go to chicagocatholic.com or call 312-534-7777. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Chicago Catholic, a fresh approach to Catholic news. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 950 a.m. and 930 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. I'm Jim Dish of the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office with highlights of local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on 750 AM. Our evangelization radio program called On the Way is hosted by Beth White and Jen Delvaux. They welcomed a couple of guests into the studio to talk about their work with Catholic Relief Services.
12: So we have with us today Olga Canellis, and Olga is a special guest from Honduras. Hello, good morning.
13: Good morning, Beth.
12: She is a program coordinator um, for um, CRS Honduras. And we have with us our local, lovely Beth Kenobi. Hi, Good Beth. morning. Good morning. <laughs> and Beth is our community engagement manager here locally for um, Catholic Relief Services. So thank you both for coming in this morning to talk with us um, about your amazing work. Um, I think most of us that are Catholic um, are very aware of the rice bowls. And so I'm just bringing a little life to it today so that it isn't just that cardboard box that we all pick up. Um, And so, uh, Beth, could you just
11: share with us a little bit about the Rice Bowl and what its purpose is? Sure. Uh, Catholic Relief Services Lenten Program, CRS Rice Bowl, has been around for almost 45 years. Wow. It's our Lenten faith formation program that invites Catholics throughout the United States to pray, pray, fast and give their alms in solidarity with the poor and vulnerable around the world, many of whom are served through CRS's programs in over 115 countries around the world. Is this the main um, operating funding tool
12: or um, outreach tool for CRS?
11: we have many different funding sources and this is just one of them. It's probably the one that Catholics in the United States are most familiar with. I think we have something like 14,000 parishes across the United States that participate in CRS rice bowl during the Lenten season.
12: Wow. So tell us a little bit, um, Olga, you are, your work is in Honduras and um, we were talking before we um, started the show this morning that um, much of the funding comes from um, other resources, but Mm -hmm. that the funding for your role and to activate your ministry comes from CRS. So tell us a little bit about your ministry.
13: Um... Thank you, Beth. Yeah. Uh, so I thank you for letting me be in here. Um, Absolutely. I am excited to share with you because this year, one of the the Rice Bowl stories, the serious Rice, rice Bowl stories, it's about one girl that's called Mariana, Maria Ana. And uh, we have been working with her the past six years and to provide school feeding And uh, so we're providing school feeding to children who are attending school and uh, we are uh, providing them with snack and a full meal during lunchtime so they can, uh, because there's a lot of hunger in Mm -hmm. Honduras, like we are a country that's nine million people population and about half of the population, it's it's actually um, living in poverty. Mm-hmm. So we are helping them providing um, a school meal during during the school year. That's about two hundred days, and we're helping Mariana. Uh, that's part of their CRS rice bowl, but also other fifty thousand students in wow. Honduras. Yeah. So.
12: Tell us how important, why is it important to provide food for the children?
13: Um, Well, the main objective of our project is to increase literacy. But children do not learn the Mm. same way if they are hungry. Mm. So it is really important in my country that we are providing this school meal because it helps the kid to be more um attentive and learning um and they don't a lot of those kids do not have uh, another meal mm-hmm. um or another source uh, of, of of food um, so my my job is to part of my job is to go to the communities and talk to people and see how is the program be, be being implemented and uh, if they are receiving w- the amount of food and the products that they're supposed to receive and how are they engaged mm-hmm. to the same activities. And I always see how people is so thankful to to have a. Well, parents are thankful that they have to worry a little bit less about mm-hmm. what their, their children are going to eat. And also, um, that kids are very happy to come to school and not only eat, but also learn. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
12: So, Beth, tell us a little bit about um, sort of the how
11: the rice bowl um ministry works. Sure, sure. Um, so what normally happens is a school or parish will receive these these little rice bowls, right? These cardboard boxes um, and distribute those usually on, on Ash Wednesday, maybe the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. Um, the little cardboard box is something that you can set on your dining room table or in your kitchen as a way to remember um, those who are hungry and those who go without. Um, but really what's, what's underneath all of that is a deep spirituality um, and entering into the Lenten season, Lentering into solidarity uh, with those who are who are hungry. One of the gospel stories that we're using this year as a way to enter into this reflection is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I think it's a story that we're all very familiar with, of this, this young child who who comes with Um, you know, just a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and yet it's enough to feed all of these people. And it's the reminder that, that each of us has a little something to give and a little something to offer. And the things that we fast from or go without, the prayers that we offer throughout the Lenten season can be that little bit that we give back to God and that God takes and multiplies and brings together and is, is enough, is more than enough with some left over, um, as a way of, of symbolizing our sacrifice, but also symbolizing this great abundance um, and this way of caring for our brothers and sisters around the world.
12: So I know that we have spoken before about the rice bowl as one piece. It's a very tangible piece that we all are very familiar with. Mm-hmm. But I think what we don't realize a lot of times is all the resources behind it. Right. So could you share a little bit with our listeners about the resources behind the
11: um, the rice bowl? Sure, sure. So one thing that you'll receive is a is a calendar. There's a calendar inserted inside the rice bowl, uh, which is a day by day reflection. Uh, you can hear stories. like like stories of Mariana um, as well as a story of a young girl from Vietnam and another young girl from Kenya Is that on the website you hear the stories It is on oh, okay. the it is you can read it in the it's inside oh, the calendar okay. insert I'm
12: looking at the calendar right now
11: <laughs> <laughs> But we do encourage people to go to the website to crsricebowl.org and on the website, you'll find videos. Um, so you can actually see these, these young girls and hear them tell their own stories about what they eat and how they learn, what their life is like in their families and in their homes. Um, so a great way to enter into the stories. The other thing that you'll find on, on the website is our recipes, and you can find recipes, simple meatless meals, great for your, for your Friday dinners during Lent, um, as a way of eating in solidarity um, with these women from around the world, uh, and one of the new things that we've added this year is that we are we are giving all of our listeners access to the recipe archives. Um, oh, I know the recipes wow. are always one of the most popular <laughs> features on the website, so you can you can actually search all of the recipes from almost the last ten years of rice bowl. That's exciting. How many of them have you tried, Beth? Um, I try. I. My goal is always to try a new one each year. Oh, that's a great goal. That's a really great goal. I think Olga and I may try to find a good Honduran restaurant here (laughs) in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll give me some ideas for Lent.
1: In the second half of the show, Beth and Jen talked with Juan Pablo Padilla and Maria Aranda from the Young Adult Engagement Team.
12: So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your work and also a recent conference that you went to. So um, if one of you would just speak a little bit about what a young adult engagement team is in the Archdiocese of Chicago.
10: I think that in a nutshell, a young adult engagement team uh, looks to encounter young adults uh, in their own situation in life and where they're at, whatever that may be. And of course, young adults uh, for us are anywhere between the ages of 18 and 39, so (laughs) that being a wide span. <laughs> that being the wide wide span that it is, encountering young adults where they're at is extremely important because the reality of an eighteen year old through a twenty year old is not the same as someone in their early thirties. And of course, we look at anyone that's uh, in discernment of their own life's project, but as well as single and married. So we do that broad spectrum of young adult engagement. So the the word itself is pretty much to engage them where they're at, um, and help walk with them in their own life, and you know help them to understand better. Their own role in the church and what their mission is within the church itself. So, uh, that's obviously speaking in very general terms. A lot of a lot of detail goes into that, but the essence of engaging is actually the encountering of the young adult in their own in their own situation.
12: Excellent. So, Maria, why um, why is it important that there be resources specifically um, targeted towards young adults?
14: Yeah, I think a lot has changed over the years and generations are different, and I think. The church um, hasn't always done the best job in adapting to the new generations. And so um, being able to uh, really evaluate what a young adult is, what their needs are in this new era, um, and being able to create and build these resources for that specifically target young adults and their needs currently in this era um, is really important. And also, you know, just find, helping them find a place in the church. Um, really being specific and intentional with um, their needs and what and what um, they're seeking and their desires within the church.
12: So our offices work pretty complementary to each other. Um, we're both about evangelizing and meeting people where they're at. Um, a little different. You're a very targeted audience. Um, but our goals are very similar is helping people encounter Jesus. But one of the things I think that we've come to realize, both sides of the house, as it were, uh, is the sense of belonging. Um Pablo, why is belonging so incredibly important for the human condition?
10: Well, I think that's very simple. If you don't belong, why do you want to be a part of it, or mm-hmm. why do you want to stick around?
12: Mm-hmm.
10: Uh, when it comes to belonging, in my own work with young adults uh, throughout the years that I've been involved with Young Adult Ministry and now with the Young Adult Engagement Office, one of the things that I, that I consistently hear as we were starting ministries and as I was uh, talking with young adults about why they wanted to do something, the the expression a safe space kept coming up mm. or a a space where they can be themselves a space that where they can express who they really are and surprisingly for them for some of them it was also uh, a space where they can enter into a pause and reflect in their own life mm-hmm. uh, so that's really what the whole thing uh, of belonging comes from it starts with the need or a desire to have a, a privileged space that is meant for reflecting on one's own life however with young adults uh, you know there's a lot of places where they can actually belong and be accepted but not necessarily around their faith journey or for a purpose of reflecting around their faith journey So. The need for belong is important because that leads then to something very powerful, which we call intimacy um, in in the sense of being vulnerable enough to revealing who you really are and, and maybe learning with others who you can potentially be. And, of course, always in light of faith mm-hmm. or in light of, of following uh, Jesus.
12: Yeah, Brene Brown, who the author, talks a lot about the distinction, the great distinction between fitting in and belonging, that it is not the same thing. And mm-hmm. then in our culture, we're taught to fit in. But the idea within the church is to create a space of belonging. Yeah. Year,
10: years back, when I was work, working a little bit with the um, uh, shout out to Father Mike, wherever you're at with the Caris Ministries, um, one of the thi- one of one of the things that I learned about young adults in terms of why they kind of like disconnected from the church a bit was because there was a lot of judgment coming down mm-hmm. on, on on who they on who they were. First of all, as young people, mm-hmm. that in and of itself carries judgments and labels and all that other stuff. But also that um, they felt like for whatever reason, it was a God that was up there, like looking at their lifestyle or how they behaved or how they were. And it wasn't always necessarily in line with with, with who they were as people. So that from in almost an instance, they felt like they were engaging with a God that, you know, was really there to judge and not necessarily to to welcome. hmm. So yeah. it was a mis- misinterpretation or mis- misguided image of who God is. And, and I think that's also why the space of belonging is so necessary.
12: Right. So, Maria, you I know that your young adult engagement team has been working with some leaders uh, in the community, mm-hmm. some young adult leaders, and you've been activating um, the tool we've talked on the show about called Alpha. So yes. what has that experience been like for your young adults going through that process?
14: Yeah, so... Um, Alpha's been great, and we actually started our very first one um, June of, like, 2018, um, and it was our first time exposing these young adults, young adult leaders, into what Alpha is. And honestly, it was really my first time as well, and so we went in with no expectations, and um, it, was, it was truly a journey together of just seeing the way Alpha unfolds um, from the start, to the end, the way it starts, it begins with factual information and, you know, historical information about the faith. And, and then the way it transitions into the spiritual part, the spiritual component of of our faith. And it, it just, um, even just seeing how the Holy Spirit is so involved and, you know, without the Holy Spirit, their Alpha won't run the way it should. And just seeing the way that unfolded um, was for me an incredible experience for our leaders was also different and unique and and it inspired them to to see their faith in a different way Mm -hmm. um to want to practice their faith in this way and be more reliant on the spirit and so when we we led one right right away right after um, a few months after that and and they they enjoyed it they loved it this will be our we already ran three so they really enjoy it some of them stayed to continue leading alphas another they split off into starting in small groups um, so it it has it has created a pathway in, in a sense um, and it has given them an opportunity to lead it has given them um, a place, a place where they feel like they are being, they're needed, where they can show their gifts as small group leaders, where they can, um, they have a, a place where they can, for example, like in hospitality, they smile and welcome people and, and they can use these gifts, this, their charisma, and, um, and they, feel, they feel needed, they feel like they belong there. And so Alpha has been really great in just um, allowing these leaders to find a place to lead.
12: And that is one of the issues we hear with young adults, right? Mm -hmm. Is that in our churches, that in our parish settings, there isn't space for um, young adults to take on these sort of leadership roles, right?
14: Yeah, I know uh, having worked in a big suburban parish uh, before I moved to the Chicago area, that was something I heard from the young adults all the time. They would hear the announcement, everybody's welcome. But by the nature of what it was, the event or the activity, it was more just like, well, all the f- parish families from the school and religious side are welcome. And they just kind of didn't know where they belonged. to use kind of the mm-hmm. word of the day. And so that intentionality of saying you're gifted and we need mm-hmm. your specific gift is so crucial in this.
12: Yeah. And I, I think that also giving them the ability to um, experience something that's so spiritual and mm-hmm. the encounter with Christ because um, these are active, pretty active young adults, right? And then the goal mm-hmm. is to have them start inviting people in that are further and further, less and less active, right?
14: Yeah. So um, you know, our team is—it's five of us—and we cannot do it all. And so <laughs> we we have to equip and engage and empower our current practicing young adult, mm-hmm. Catholic young adults, um, so that they then go out into the peripheries and bring back those that, that need to be, that need to encounter Jesus. Um, so yeah, it, they are already practicing young adults um, and they, we're just helping form them and just um, teaching them and trying our best to just, Um, embrace their talents and how will they now move forward?
12: Well, because studies are showing us, and I wish I had this statistic in front of me, but I don't, but it's an extraordinary number of young adults who say that they believe in God and believe in Jesus and all of that, but that they don't think you should tell anybody about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is it, like 73%? It's some crazy number. Um, And so you're helping them sort of overcome that fear, right? That sense of it's not... This isn't something to be scared of. Because the, the reason, the, the under, for our listeners, the underlying reason for that isn't that they don't believe in it, is that friendships are really hard to get nowadays. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to risk friendships by letting people think they're trying to force religion on them mm-hmm. or that God that they have in their mind, right, that Pablo was talking about.
1: Thanks to Beth and Jen for the fine work they do hosting On The Way. Finally this week, Father Brito Bertrams and Sandy Labovie co-hosted Built on the Rock, a radio program that helps couples build their relationships on the rock that is Christ. They interviewed a married couple about faith and family.
6: We are here joined by our lovely couple, Joe and Siobhan, um, who we were speaking with before the break about how they met and um, how eventually, finally, Siobhan received (laughs) a proposal. (laughs) Anyway, it's such a great story, and the laughter is wonderful, too. But um, so... So you had mentioned that you had become engaged and then it went pretty quickly to marriage after that. I think you said maybe yes. within a few months. So um, uh, let's just talk about then what the early years of marriage look like for you. And I know you do have children now, so maybe you can lead us up to when the children were, were born and just tell us a
5: little bit about that part of your story. Right. So we got married in September 2004 and we had our first son in June of 2006. Oh. So we, you know, we wanted to have kids right away. Um, and we um, were lucky enough to be blessed with Kean in June of 2006 um, and then Finn came shortly thereafter in 2007 and then Rory in 2009. So we have three boys mm-hmm. um, they are a handful but they're we are very lucky we are very fortunate um,
6: yeah and their ages now you were saying they 13, are... 12 and 10. okay mm-hmm. so you're I'm guessing your life is extremely busy.
5: <laughs> it is. There's yeah. a lot of sports going on. Oh,
6: sure? <laughs>
15: sure. sure, Well, yeah. it's, it's not only that. I mean, Siobhan is, as Father Brito mentioned on the way down, incredibly involved in the school mm-hmm. and in the community and in the church. So I, we joke around that the only person she says no to is me. <laughs> <laughs>
16: um, but
15: uh, it's, she's, she's very, she's incredibly active, one of the busiest people I know.
16: Yeah I mean I'm very personally very grateful to Shivani because uh, you know she not only became the president of the school board but she has been deeply involved in finding two principals and mm. and helping us through all these transitions you know how important the school is and and uh, we have gone through some interesting times and uh, I'm very grateful to Shivani yeah. who has guided us through that so she has been yeah a lot of time and Joe, She's you given to us.
6: yeah, you keep yourself busy too, oh, yeah. right? I'm, you were mentioning yes, being on the yes. school board.
16: Um, yeah,
15: so or, in, yeah, in addition well. to my day job, um, yeah. I'm chairman of the board of DePaul College Prep, my old high school, formerly uh, Gordon Tech, mm. and uh, do a little bit of work with uh, Big Shoulders and mm. and uh, Catholic and some Extension. Other stuff. Catholic Extension, yeah, with Father Wall, mm. um,
16: so um, coach and <laughs> How important it is for you to be like that, to be involved in the community? How does it, you know, play into your relationship, your family, your marriage?
15: So it's the way, and it's probably the same way for Siobhan. It was just the way I was raised. We grew up in a Mm -hmm. large Irish Catholic family on the north side of Chicago, and your parish was everything. You knew the pastor. You talked to him after Mass. You always helped out. I was an altar server. My boys are altar servers. Mm -hmm. So it's just I don't know. It's that sense of community that I mean. When we were first dating, I remember we were actually like shopping for parishes, and we we'd both individually gone to uh, Old Saint Pat's, but we kind of found that community there. And then when we were uh, fortunate enough to move to Park Ridge, found Saint Paul the Cross, and I just think of the friendships mm-hmm. that we have, the people we spend time with, the way our kids are raised, the families that surround us, and it's we are we are incredibly fortunate.
5: We are, and you know, one thing I would say is I, I didn't I don't think we made I didn't make a conscious decision like I want to be very involved. It kind of just organically came, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do think they they target you as soon as they know your <laughs> youngest is getting out of kindergarten, going to school full day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're on list, but, but <laughs> it, it just it, I mean, for 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 me, I wouldn't be involved if it wasn't a community I loved. Yeah, so. I shouldn't say this to you, Father Brito, but uh, there's very little you could ask of me that I would say no to. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) But the same for Joe. I mean, you know, doing round ball and all the things. But we are in such a great community that you want to make it the best place it can. And you can't do that without volunteers from parents, right? Because and And it's been such an amazing community for our kids. Like We have an eighth grader. And there have been a lot of things coming up lately that just make you realize how lucky we have been and mm-hmm. how it's just, I mean, that's what drew us to it in the first place. I and mean, we both went to Catholic school, but when we came for the first open house, there was just this sense of community there and mm-hmm. knowing that there's more eyes on your kids than mm-hmm. just yours. And that means a lot because yeah. I, I think it, it builds such a strong group.
15: And Father Brito, I think you asked how it you know, helps or affects our marriage, I mean, that's kind of part of our fiber. It's who we are. So, mm-hmm. you know, going to Mass is, although it's, you know, at times dragging the kids uh, yeah. at point, but, you know, after Mass, you just, you feel yeah. refreshed. You mm-hmm. feel, mm-hmm. you know, like a like a good Catholic, and you just, I don't know, it's hard to say, but it's our, um, so much of our time is spent, you know, in the parish, and, um I just think it, in, in a lot of weird ways, even though we're doing things differently, it's brought us closer together, mm-hmm. because of the sole purpose of our kids, of our of our, um, um, I, identical faith and and kind of mission and what what we want our family mm-hmm. to look like. So, it's it's been great. For our marriage.
16: But how do you juggle That's, yeah, that's between that's your true. commitment to all these things and your commitment to like to each other to the children? Mm-hmm. That's a challenge.
15: So here's and a typical, sorry Siobhan, but here's a typical like Sunday night. <laughs> Siobhan coming into, the, into our office with her phone saying okay this is what the next week looks like and we have yeah. you know, our, our calendars are all kind of combined and it's like how am I mm-hmm. gonna get through this week? How is Siobhan going to get through this week with everything? But I don't know.
5: We figured out. I mean, yeah. it, it, it is, it's is—it's a lot of tag teaming. It's a lot of, okay, mm-hmm. you cover this, I'll cover this. But mm-hmm. um, we do, like, we try to go to stuff together. Yeah. Um, you know, we could opt out. I mean, your your weekends, our kids are very active in sports. We could. We do spend, a, a, we, we will both go to games, mostly because we want to, not because we feel like we have to, but – You know, so we'll hang out on the sidelines or, but it is a lot of, you know, I think the biggest thing and something we should do more than we do is making time for each other because it's easy to get caught up in all the other stuff.
1: You can listen to that entire conversation and all our local radio programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archicago.org. That's radiotv.archicago.org. And great news! Catholic Chicago Week in Review, the program you're listening to right now, is available on all your favorite mobile streaming apps. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Subscribe today. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning here on Relevant Radio, 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Jim Dish for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us every
0: Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, artschicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic
6: Chicago on social media.